Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take video game and movie pairings and discuss to see how they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production in games development. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is Meet Your Maker and Cube. Meet Your Maker is a first-person shooter developed by Behaviour Interactive and came out of April this year, 2023. In the game, players are tasked to build and raid outposts made by other players, filled with all kinds of traps and guards and hidden things to find. Cube is a 1997 Canadian movie directed by Vincenzo Natalie. In Cube, six strangers of wildly varying personalities are placed in an endless cube-like maze of deadly traps. Can they escape the cube before they die? Dun, dun, dun. And that's today's pairing. Let's go. I love it. I, I got I to gotta just get in there and, and correct you on the, the director's name is uh, Vincenzo Natali. Natali. So he's Canadian, but uh, yeah, I feel like uh, if, you, if you see an interview with him, he very much has like an Italian accent. Like Interesting. He's, yeah. <laughs> but no, Vincenzo, weird guy. His movies are all super weird and strange. Like he has... I don't... Like I've never heard the name. I don't know his other movies. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I've seen Cube... And watching it as its own. Looking back on it from like the non-American, non-Western perspective is interesting actually. Get this. I'm pretty sure he's actually from uh, Michigan. Like he's oh, actually really? American. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking but amazing. he's like, uh, he did, what did he do? He did, hang on, I'll look it up. He did uh, a bunch of different movies, but the ones that I know of, and he's worked on a few things, but um, so most recently he directed an episode of the Stephen King remake of the the stand oh I yeah don't, i don't know the stand what, what what is the like very quick like premise what's the stand by stephen king oh man how do i explain that uh that's a big question <laughs> the much. stand is about like a post-apocalypse america in which the devil is real and is that the one where there was that movie that came out like a couple of years ago that bombed the tower no diff- well oh, see this is where it gets weird we're going to open up a whole can of worms here that the episode is not about, but let's let's really quickly like, can, like immediately we can decide if we're going to cut this. So Stephen King has a written universe. This predates any sort of cinematic universe that I'm aware of. Yeah, uh, in which the Tower and the book series of the Tower, which includes the Gunslinger and blah 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 blah, the Dark Tower, they are all set in the same universe of fiction, and this includes things like um, like I think it is in that universe. It is definitely in that universe. Uh, I I'm probably going to fuck this up, but I'm pretty sure uh, the oh, I've I've lost it already. There's the, pretty much everything Stephen King has done that relates to uh, it or the towns around that place are related to the Dark Tower and the Gunslinger. And so the well, stand, uh, I'm pretty sure, is also set in that universe, but it's like a weird offshoot of that universe. Okay, what about like? Um because because this is one of the Stephen King books I remember reading when I was younger, and just it's fresh in my mind. But Cell, the one that turns everyone into zombies. Oh, I don't think that one is. No, because I feel like that one would have like some quite large implications. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that one's in the same universe. You can look it up. Wikipedia's got them. There's like nine books in the in the Dark Tower series, and then there's like a few offshoots. And the idea is that the the thing that is the monster in it. Without Which, spoiling it. Without spoiling it, yeah. it's a monster. It's not actually a clown. Uh, go and see it. The original's been out for like 100 years. The, it's, um, 
it lives it it feeds on fear like its sustenance or something is fear so it's like it's eating the children but it's not actually eating the children well, that's it's why it's like it's fear. originally that weird clown exactly yeah. it appears as a thing that will scare you because that's what it eats so that thing is a creature from or related to somehow the dark tower series wherein it's like an elder god or something uh, and then the the thing is the gunslinger is like traveling around trying to like kill monsters or some shit like that. They did a movie, which as you quite rightly said, flopped quite badly. I think it was Idris Elba yeah, plays right. the gunslinger and it just doesn't fucking work for multiple reasons. But it sucks because they, when they had announced that it was going to be like a whole TV series and there was going to be multi-movie spinoffs. Oh, I they mean, were going to turn it into a cinematic universe. I just Googled it and like the first result is a TV series that's from 2021 to 2023. Uh, but then when I go on the IMDb, it's two and a half hours. Yeah. What's the what? show called? The Tower. The Tower. So there was The Tower. There's another one which is about the town and they did they did some of the TV show. They I do remember seeing a few episodes of it, and it wasn't good. So if memory serves, the stand lives in the same universe. But the whole thing of it is, there's been like a big virus or something, which is why the two the most recent miniseries 2021 was like really awkward because it came out during the pandemic, but had obviously been in production well before the pandemic because it was so high right. budget. Yeah, but it's about a pandemic that effectively kills the world, and then like the devil is real, and he's like. There's like well, there, there was a couple of shows that came out, or like, and I just watched. Coincidentally, I'll just wait. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Shut the fuck up! You've already eaten. Yes, <laughs> yes, my baby girl. I'd, I'd have to um, I'd have to look more up. But yes, there was. There's a couple of shows during the pandemic. Yeah, I remember watching. Um, I haven't watched the British original version of this because it's, it's meant to be really good and much better than the American like Amazon Prime version that I watched, but Utopia I watched, I think, at the start of, pen- yeah. of the pandemic. That, I quite enjoyed that. And then um, new season just came out as well, which is good, but Sweet Tooth is also I haven't like, seen the new season, but yes. It's same really vibe. good, but same where, where like, you know, the world is ending. There's this virus that's going around killing everyone. And I'm pretty yeah. sure the first season came out like either in the middle or like towards the end of the pandemic. It you know, did. Clearly uh, like made before COVID happened, but it's just, it's really funny how that kind of stuff comes out. Super awkward, especially because like Sweet Tooth as a comic series came out like, like five years before that. Yeah. So it had been in development pretty much since then. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just happens to be that the year we release it is like, oh, also there's an actual global pandemic happening. Yeah, and I think like some uh, shows, I don't think that one in particular, but some stuff acknowledged too that being like the events happening in this is not meant to be like a reflection on what's actually happening, all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. It, it, just, you know, it just came out. Purely coincidental. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, the, so Vin- Vincenzo uh, is quite, a, quite an accomplished director. He's mostly been doing TV shows though. And I say this like just from what I've been tracking, Cube happened and then he did maybe like two other films and they didn't do very well and he seems to have stuck with TV. But well, my goodness, his TV episodes are quite good. Do you know if at the time when it came out, if Cube did well at the box office? I have no idea how it performed initially. I just know like it's it's one of those movies that like became a kind of like a niche cult hit and like people have kind of discovered it over time. I think it, I would definitely call it a cult hit. I don't think it did well at the box office. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm probably one of the few people who did actually see it in the cinema. Oh, really? I was quite young, because if you remember, it was 1997. I'd have to do the math on how old I was, but I would have been like 11 or 12 or something. Like, I was not old enough to see this I, movie in the cinema. Well, I mean, on that, I do remember seeing like the very opening shot of the guy getting diced up into pieces yeah. when I was like 11 or 12. 
It's um, brutal. Yeah. And, and then like, oh shit, like if that's the movie, I'm not going to, uh, like, it's, I'm obviously too young for it. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that's the most gory part of the entire movie. It actually is, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I remember I was on, I was part of some kind of, it, was, it wasn't like summer camp. This is like showing my memory. Imagine like watching that movie at like an outdoor theater for like a, for like a year eight like school yeah. camp. It wasn't <laughs> that. It wasn't that. It was like it was like so basically raised by a single mom effectively, and I had uh, during like you know school holidays, she would send me to these things that would like keep you occupied during the day so that she could still go to work. So it was in between school semesters. And so it was with these people and it was like, I don't know, it wasn't scouts, but it was like an equivalent of scouts or something. Yeah. And they had like, they had like the kids one and then they had like one for like, you're not an adult, but you're pretty close. Wait, is this like in Victoria? Because there's, because I, because I did like Joey's and Cubs and scouts and then after scouts, there's ventures, but. Um, no, but it wasn't. This would have been Canberra. Okay. And like we did have those, but it definitely wasn't part of that. It was a different, it was like, it was like, was like a YMCA a thing. style thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was like a, you know, send your kids here for a couple of weeks during the semester break. You still get to go to work nine to five and we're going to like entertain your kids. And like, it's not like an educational thing. It's just like a, we do fun games and shit so that they don't get yeah, bored cool. and they get to meet other kids and stuff like that. Yeah. But I remember they had like a kid's version and they went and saw like a, a Disney film or whatever it was on at the time. 1997 could have been anything. Probably Milan or something. I don't know. But then you oh, had, I mean, I mean, that would have been sick. Would have been sick. And I was like, no, I'm an adult. I want to see the like the the older kids movie. Like I can handle it. My dad's shown me all kinds of scary movies and blah blah blah. And then yeah, ends up taking me to see Cube with like a bunch of eighteen year olds. And I was like, this is sick. And they were like, you're you're scarred for life, aren't you? And I was like, no, I loved it. To it be was, yeah. to be fair, that would have been cool. It was very cool. And this is why I remember. I for me, Cube always had like a place in my heart because. It was always rose tinted glasses. I never went back and rewatched it until we did this podcast. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, very quickly, feelings. Do you think it holds up, or or it, it, how 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 did it perform? It does not hold up. <laughs> it it it's very clearly. It's very much from nineteen ninety seven. It's very nineteen ninety seven. It's very low budget, and I mean, part of but, that but, might but be also like like it low budget and how to do that. I think that's one of the best parts of the movie. Oh, 100 percent. Like it's very. It leans into it. It's very effective. Yeah. The bit that got me though was that seeing it in the cinema, it it I remember it looking differently. When you watch it now on like a 4K HD like screen at home, yeah, it does not look that good. And you were like, oh, they got they got away with a lot in like the DVD era where the audience at home just couldn't tell. It's probably one of those movies where like it being on a VHS tape and watching it like on a smaller, low quality, maybe like CRT TV, probably actually like adds to 100%. adds to like what they were trying to do with the atmosphere and the tone and, and all that kind of stuff with the movie where as soon as you blow it up into like crystal clear 4k like sur- like a whole world tv like that's a great experience but this movie wasn't designed for that it definitely wasn't i will say the cgi does actually hold up pretty well yeah the scenes or the shots of like the cube it's moving and stuff yeah okay it looks a little I sp- bit i suppose very gaming. quick because i didn't mention it earlier but obviously like full spoilers for for cube uh meet maker is not really like a spoilery type of game because it's not hugely story focused but yeah cube uh spoiler warning but yeah uh so yeah the cube the cube part, parts moving that kind of worked well for you kind of works because it looks a bit shit but it's yeah. it's like it's all quite dark and moody and it moves really quickly there's no like really long lingering shots on and something that's obviously CGI. Yeah, and they kind of like whenever there is like something really fast paced and moving, they kind of like hide it behind camera to let mm. your imagination kind of go wild with it. 
They did that and they did a lot of the uh, gore and stuff was practical effects, which I, I think oh, really helped sell it. A lot of the gore I thought was amazing. There was So the other guy, so one of the people in the crew uh, is like a master escape artist who's escaped from prisons and like he gets fucked up with like some acid to the face. The Ren, yeah. And, it, so and his, his face gets like melted and kind of like hollowed out. And, and like that effect, like, like you know, whenever the shot is on him um, f- from that moment, it's like a still shot. So it's probably just like a matte painting or some kind of effect. I don't, I don't know. You could probably um, dive, like speculate on that a little bit more <laughs> than me. But it looked really cool. It looked really cool. A lot of that is just prosthetic makeup. Yeah. Um, and the sort of corpse bit where like there's a whole sequence later on where they, one of the guys rolls because him over. It, because it does look like his head has been caved out. Yeah, yeah. It's like it eats out part of his head. That's like a fake body. Like that's that's not prosthetic on an actor. Yeah. They've made like a fake head. And it's one of those like there is a there is definitely like a shitty indie student film version of that that like <laughs> if you just don't show it, you, it's like it works. But they went all out. Like they spent money on that that fake body well, and like, well, it cause, works. Because like, like that... Uh, that moment and then the guy getting cubed <laughs> um, is probably like the, the, the two selling points of gore in the movie, right? 100%. And I feel like, uh, I don't know this for certain, but I feel like that that opening scene was almost a proof of concept that would have helped them get the film made. Like if they had done nothing but me. shoot that and then pitched it, I reckon that would have helped get the film up. Because once you see that and you go, wow, this is quite impressive. That's a selling point. That's a selling that's point. That's a hook. That's like, I mean, you know, me, me seeing only that scene as a kid and being terrified. I'm like, well, it fucking works. It works. It works. Yeah. So I think that's like they they knew they knew they had to set the stage very quickly because otherwise you are effectively watching like 90 minutes ish of just like five people in a in a <laughs> bunch of exactly the same room but with different lights. So it could get quite boring. And they're like, no, 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 strap yourself oh, in. And trust me, some of the some of the sequel movies do get quite boring with that. Holy <laughs> shit! Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna get into those. There's. I watched all of them. We better fucking get into them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I will, I will actually. Okay, well, that's an interesting little point there. So before we get into the the video game thing, yeah. So Cube itself does have a a video game version. So I found this thing. It's on uh, it's on Game Jolt. So if you look it up, you can game find Jolt. this, and I think All it right. has a playable demo. Uh, and he, the guy who makes it, I couldn't find any information about this dude. He's got he hasn't got his profile filled out. No idea, right? He calls it an interactive tribute to the film rather than like an adaptation. And it actually looks pretty good. Like he, you know, I, from what I can tell, no one's worked on it in about a year or at the, or at the very least he hasn't updated anything. <laughs> Future in versions are expected to have multiplayer. Yeah. VR, compa- wow, this scope is already kind of like nuts. I like, yeah, as somebody, for, you know, we've, we've got the games dev expert over here going Wait, like, oh my God. 2020. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like it was fairly recent. And then it sort of either has dropped off the radar or he is actually working on it, but it's one guy. I mean, like, I mean, like if, I'm, if I'm thinking about this, because like in the last episode, I kind of mentioned it could be fun to kind of like spitball a video game adaptation for Cube. Um, this looks really cool. I, w- I don't know if multiplayer would be necessary, to be honest. Well, okay, so we can, we can get into this because the nature of Cube would work, I think, uh, if you had a co-op. I don't think multiplayer necessarily works in the way we would traditionally think of it. But imagine if it was set up like something like Among Us or one of those like imposter Have you games. Played, um, Phantom Abyss. I haven't played it. So uh, it's in the, the way to kind of talk about it is it's asynchronous multiplayer where like each um, dungeon, like, you know, it's a dungeon crawling, dungeon raiding game uh, where you go through and, and, and try and go through down deeper into, into 
the tomb to find the idol at the end, and it, it's procedurally generated. Uh, each one is a seed, and everyone can keep playing it, but then as soon as someone beats it, no one else can play it again. And so when you go into the dungeon, you can see the ghosts of everyone else who has attempted it, and you can kind of follow their path along until that ghost dies and try and go a bit further. But that could be interesting where, like, if you're trying to go through the puzzles and, and navigate all the, all the death traps and stuff and see where everyone else who has already attempted it once yeah. try and fail and then kind of, like, see if you can learn from that or if you succumb to the same thing. It's the... It's the um Trial, trial and error, but where error means death, you you want somebody else to go first. Yeah, yeah. it's actually really good. It's a it's a Queensland made game, so never Australian one. No, oh, I gotta check that out. It, it's interesting because yeah, I do think I could see how a co op style thing would work if you can't trust one another, if you don't know if somebody knows more about the cube than you or whatever. But I don't know how you would set that up where like maybe one person in the group has a map, but it's up to them to share it because they need people to get hit by some of the traps or something like that. I don't know. Interesting. Or, or, or maybe it's one of those ones where like you have different goals and, and then like people's goals can change. And one of them is like, make sure that like this person dies in some capacity in order to benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, so Vincenzo has said in an interview, I did find this uh, when he was writing this with his co-writer, Andre uh, Bielik, they, they did think about were they writing a movie or were they writing a video game? Because oh, really? there's something about like each cube as like a level where it's like by its nature, you're progressing through a thing that someone is building to fuck with you. And that feels kind of video gamey. When you say each cube being a level, do you mean like the whole uh, like cube prison or like each individual? I think room? like each individual cell. Because like from when they were making the first one, I don't think they envisioned anything to do with the sequels because if memory serves- uh, A lot the, of those sequels seem like they retroactively yeah, yeah. have it make sense. Uh, and, and to, to a point where like a lot of it actually doesn't kind of fit together. Yeah, they did. So the, I think it was Cube 2 was Hypercube. Cube 2, Hypercube. And they went with this weird like space time anomaly thing of like a four dimensional cube, right? Yeah. And to do that, you you have to get into the realm of sci-fi way beyond what the original Cube does. Because Cube is kind of like, it's sci-fi, but it's also like well, a major plot is that like this one woman is convinced the government built this. And it, you're like, yeah, probably. Well, then did you watch uh, Cube 3 or Cube Zero? Cube Zero, yeah. yeah I've which, seen which it. That one yeah. kind of confirms that it is government. But it also gets weird and it's like, it's like, it's like, it's not a government conspiracy. It's like this private prison type thing that was yeah. built and it's like their experiment. It was very weird. It, like, and then it, it turns it, out yeah. it's a prequel and then yeah. it's like, it's, it, yeah. I, each Cube movie like changes things up dramatically. It's also the point too where like I think the the like cube at its best is also similar to Alien at Alien at its best, right? Where like it like things are left unexplained. Yeah, the less you tell me, the more interesting it is. Like if you, yeah. like if you watch Cube like only Cube on its own versus watching all of them, you'd have a much better experience just watching the first one. I think so. I think you could skip the other two. I tell you what, actually, you can skip did, did, the did two Did you watch sequels. the Japanese remake? And I did watch the Japanese remake, and uh, I can quote my wife on this one. It was super boring. The Japanese one. Yeah. yeah it, it's yeah. like a shot for shot remake, but Fucking they take out all the good stuff. Hard agree. Um, the pacing is so much slower. It, like, so the original cube is an hour and a half. The Japanese remake, I think it's just over two hours and they spend a lot more time on like each character being at odds with each other and each character's like traumatic past and how it feeds into cube somehow. And it, it might be that we just don't, like maybe we're not the audience for those kind of Japanese horror films, but I also think it's an it's a very hilarious inversion of normally 
what we get is a shitty Western remake of a quite good Japanese horror. Yeah. Instead, we've got a shitty Japanese remake of a quite good I Western was, I was horror. honestly quite surprised that the Japanese remake was kind of shitty. Honestly, yeah. Because like, there's a lot of Japanese horror movies I love where they kind of go like, all out balls to the wall, like fucked up horror. And I, I felt like Cube would lend itself perfectly to that. Like you, you lean in hard to all like the weird traps and puzzles and monster and, and, and things that are happening and, and, you know, see what degree further that they could take it. But instead they kind of like 180 on that. There's a couple of cool, like new traps, but then a lot of them are, yeah. re- are repeated ones from the first movie. Cause it's a remake. Um, yeah, there was stuff like the flamethrower one at the very beginning. I was like, that was that was already pretty weak in the original. Yeah, why would you double down on that? Like, you could have done all sorts of cool shit with. I that. mean, maybe something like that is like they want that shot in the trailer to be like, hey, look, it's it's cute, but it's Japan. I don't, I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. I tell you what else is interesting about that. Since we're doing the the sequel tangent thing, um, so in my investigations, I was able to find that in 2011, Lionsgate, who owns the rights to Cube we're talking about doing cube 3d oh, and so it was going to be a fourth film in the series it seems to have disappeared off the radar and in 2015 they instead announced that they were going to be doing a reboot but it was unclear if it was an actual reboot or a remake or a sequel but it was going to be called cubed with a d oh i think i think that that's a name that i've heard yeah. before yeah and they both seem to have disappeared off the face of the earth so they may or may not still be in development maybe it's in development hell i don't know but i can't imagine that the lackluster reception of the Japanese remake did it any favours. No, if anything, it's probably going to like further seal the deal. Like it's either just going to be on hold indefinitely or not happen. Which is kind of a shame. It's, I think I've said this before on the podcast where like, I want to see more of this type of thing where they take a film that was pretty good, but, but really it's kind of a cult, whatever. Yeah. And give it like a modern polish, like throw more money at it and let's see how weird you could get. We don't see them very often. We tend to remake movies that are already good. Well, you know, what, you, you know, an example of that. That, funnily enough, is, so it's it's another like niche cult movie from the eighties, and it's getting a multiplayer video game adaptation coming out soon. Do tell, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Oh yeah, I saw the trailer for that. You know what? I'm on board. I'm on board because like, they, they know what it is. And, and like the, the, the original movie already kind of like knew what it was and leaned in hard to how like fucking just weird and insane it was. And it looks like the 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 game is just like like fully aware, being like, "Yep, we're doing that like 110." percent We're also going on the like like kind of like stupidly over the top 1980s feel of like all the music and the neon. You kind of have to. It's like, yeah, this is like 80s to the point where like it's in your face and and you want it to slow down, but it won't. But it won't. Yeah, I think that's the if you if you understand, and we've talked about this pretty much ad nauseum. It's kind of the crux of the whole thing, right? If you understand not just like why a thing was cool, but also what it's trying to do with that coolness. Oh, you can crush it. Which I think is where like the Japanese remake falls apart because they didn't, they didn't understand why the original was good. You can't just it, redo it with a Japanese cast. It it's doesn't like, make um, it better. It's not self-aware enough to the point where like it, you know, has the tongue in cheek leaning into it. Cause you know, if the, if the Japanese remake did go like very like zany and over the top and, and, and it's kind of like, you know, you, you you imagine like an insane witch cackling laughter of evil, like have that kind of like. I mean, yeah. obviously, like Cube doesn't doesn't have insane witches, but just that kind of like mood or or tone of being like, yeah, just recognize itself what it is, uh, self awareness, lean in over the top. Just that's all we need. There's there's room for improvement too, because number one, I would suggest that the performances in the original Cube were some of the best parts. 
So then you go, okay. The what performances if, were also over the top. Also over the top, but they knew what they were doing. They were leaning into it, right? Yeah. If you if you take that and you ramp up the production design, if you ramp up the kinds of, of VFX or, or special effects we're getting, like that's the sort of stuff you can go ham on. The thing that you could fix, for lack of a better term, there's obviously uh, an awkward thing to address in, in 1997's Cube, which is the, the cripping up for the autism trope. Yeah, the, the savant. A, a lot of that uh, did not age well, and like, you know, for the, for the narrative of the movie, by the end of it, like you see what they're doing and, and how it ties in for the end. But like, a lot of it did not feel didn't feel great. Didn't feel good. They did try to uh, retroactively fix this in Cube Zero. <laughs> yeah, and in in my opinion, I think they actually made it worse. I think they made it worse. I think they made it much worse. The uh, it was interesting to see that that aspect kind of missing, I guess, from the Japanese remake. And I was like, I think it works. I, I, I think instead they had the child. They had the child. And it works better because they got the same concept across without it being quite obviously like a a, a, a very over-the-top caricature. Yeah. And I'm but, like, I mean, you, you but know. also like every, uh, and this isn't defending like it's its use of of that, of that aspect in the first movie, but like every character and every uh, personality was over-the-top, right? Yeah. Like the aggressive cop, was an aggressive cop for the sake of being an aggressive cop, right? Yeah. It's that kind of thing where, like, well, no matter what they do, it's it's not going to be played well. Um, but in terms of, like, putting it in for that setting with, like, the the like how insane everything is that, like, you walk into a room and you can just get diced apart or burned yeah. or frozen or whatever. Um, how, like, kind of, like, having the extremes for that situation, I think that does work. Everything has to go up to 11, yeah. yeah. I, I do think if you're going to do a remake of Cube, you can't have that character like that no you, you you can still have something where like you know because because one of the reveals is that that character who's i suppose a, a way they describe it in the movie is mentally handicapped or mentally disabled yeah because they never actually address like what what his thing is but it's 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 clearly leaning into that rain man style movie autism trope yeah. of like he can't speak and he has all these weird it, and tics. It's, it's very much like that Rain Man thing because like yeah. as soon as he answers the question, he asks for gumballs and yeah. then he asks for like a bag of gumballs and, and, and stuff like that. Um, very unrealistic representation of like severe autism, but it's also like that's what people in the 90s thought that looked like. Yeah. It was just, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a shame. It, it's definitely a movie of, of its time. But there's so that point of like, okay, each character has a reason where like if they do work together, they can solve the puzzle and escape. And he had that like critical moment, like at the start of the third act, being like, "Oh, he can work out the calcula- calculation of like the three prime numbers together, or whatever it was." I, f- I forget the uh, specific mathematic thing, but like you know, uh, them all working together and, and piecing it out. Like he is like the 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 key. The, he's the key for that lock. Yeah. Um, but you can do that without having like someone depicted as severe, severely autistic. Exactly. Yeah. And like the idea that like oh. We, we, if you write it in reverse and go, okay, uh, we've got a huge math problem that needs to be solved so that they can live. And you go, well, we better chuck in a, 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 a savant autistic kid who's super good at math. And it's like, first of all, that's wild. Because also, also what, what's the, like, like the expected assumption there is that like in order to be good at math, you have to be autistic. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, like, like what? There's no, there's nobody who's that, who's able to do those sums in their head unless you're, unless you're a mathematics savant and you're just like, okay, but also... It's it's it was that idea that the theme or, or the underlying I guess subtext that these people are in here for a reason, 
And so they're like, okay, you got a cop because they need a leader. You got a doctor because they need a medical expert, like blah, blah, blah. And I like that they kind of threw that away at the end and we're like, it actually didn't matter. None if of they it, had none just of stayed it, where yeah. they were supposed like if they had stayed in one of those I first do, rooms. I do like that one. Like that, that yeah. is very cheesy, but that whole idea, like if they had just like not moved anywhere, yeah. they would have been fine. But they were so caught up in like, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a purpose. And I like the idea, what if there is no purpose and they are just seeing what, what happens when you chuck a bunch of people in a fucking death trap? Well, I mean, the, and the and the later movies is literally just that they're just experimenting and seeing what happens and just seeing like how different types of people go with the different types of traps. Yeah, like I none think, of it yeah. matters. That they're they're, they're they're just like getting data essentially. This is interesting because this I think is a good segue into Meet Your Maker. So, Meet Your Maker is essentially what would happen if you took uh, Mario Maker and you made it a first person shooter. Yeah, and, and and like it's essentially that, right? You you you're building these these puzzle death trap things, but the way they've designed it is that you build your little fort or whatever, and then you go away and do other shit, and other players are running through your death trap that you've built. But when they're all dead, you can log in and collect all their shit, and you can watch like clips of them failing and dying. So I got pretty much zero joy from beating levels myself but I got yeah, immense right. joy from watching other people die in my traps. Interesting. Made me go, hang on a minute. What if that is the point of cube? Right. And obviously like the sequel films do some weird shit with it. But if you ignore those, it stands to reason that a rich billionaire might have created the cube purely to watch people <laughs> I mean, yeah, suffer. That, that, th- that theory that they have in the movie of like some rich fuck just doing this because he's a twisted psycho. I'm like, honestly, that kind of tracks. Yeah. And I think it's funny because in 1997, uh, I, I might be wrong on this. Somebody can fact check me on this, but Bill Gates certainly would have been one of the richest people in the world, if not the richest oh, at probably, the time. Yeah. And I find it hilarious that that the the way that perception of billionaires has changed because of class divide and wage stagnation and blah 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 blah. Fast forward to 2023. In 1997, the idea that a rich play this might be some rich playboy's idea of a good time was like pretty laughable. Now I'm like, no, I hundred percent believe somebody like Elon Musk would build Cube. Hundred percent. I, mean, I mean, you know, look at uh, Squid Game, right? Oh yeah, immediately believable now. Yeah, I mean, like they have that as part of the plot, being like, yeah, they have this like stupid over the top series of games that like kills people off until it's one left, and like in the in the last final ones, they invite like rich, like American, like, yeah, like billionaires over to watch and, and pay money and, and take bets and all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. it, like it's a fucking spectator sport. And, and it's interesting that we, the the way that media is written is evolving as society evolves. Like we're, we're telling stories about ourselves and we are changing. So the stories are changing, Yeah, but it's fascinating to see that specific through line where in 1997, it was more believable that the government did this somehow or that like the military industrial complex did it. In 2023, I'm not convinced the military industrial complex could find its ass with both hands in a torch, <laughs> but I fully believe that that a rich Jeff Bezos could and would build something like this. I mean, absolutely. You, you look at like uh, Battle Royale, right? Where like the 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 three line for that movie is like society has collapsed, and the only way that like government or police can actually like take control of anything is to send a a, a class of school children. To an island and get them to get them all to kill each other until there's one left. Oh yeah. If you take yeah. that same premise today, it'll just be a rich billionaire doing it to like anyone who they deem is like unfit for society. 100%. But regardless of society being broken or not, if, if anything, society's probably fine. I mean, that gets into the uh, the YA Hunger Games style style trope. I guess it's a trope now, genre even maybe. I don't know. Probably probably a genre. I think I think it's pretty widespread enough now that like if you if you take I mean you know. Uh, we have a pairing that we might do for an episode that talks about Battle Royale, but the whole idea of like 
Battle Royale starting this thing, it's become so commonly widely accepted and known as its own thing. You take like Fall Guys or, or yeah, Player play Unknown Battlegrounds yeah. or that kind of thing. It's definitely like people know it. If you say Battle Royale, people know what that people is. People know what that is. Although, hilariously enough, I've met multiple young people. I'd say Gen Zers. These are like, you know, 18, 19, former students of mine who had never heard of Battle Royale as a movie. Oh, like the original one? Yeah, like they only knew it as a genre. Yeah, right. We, okay. we can get into that a little bit in that that episode, I think. But for this one, it's interesting to kind of look at it and go, the the nature of what we're talking about, trapping these five, six people in this death trap machine. In 1997, you kind of go, oh, it's aliens, it's this, it's mysterious, what's well, it all also, for? Also, I, th- I, th- I think if you do have that perspective for Cube, that actually works really well. Like it just being some kind of like like weird anomaly. And I think that's the ending leans into that is that like if you ignore the sequel films, the way the first one ends, it is open to interpretation. Yeah. They don't explain it. And with, it's like with, that kind yeah. of works, I think. I think I think that's honestly the, the best way to, to leave that for the first movie. I do like though the guy in it. This is like huge spoilers, but again, we're way past that. Uh, David Hewlett, who by the way, fantastic actor. He was great in Stargate Atlantis. That guy plays a character called Worth who admits, I don't know, halfway through the movie that he helped design the thing or he designed oh, the outer shell. Yep, yep. And they're immediately like, the doctor chick is like, oh, I knew it. I fucking knew it. It's a government, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you don't understand. I just filled out some forms. I did some plans. Like he's like, I didn't, I don't know. I have no idea what it who was. this is for. I have no idea like why or how this came across my desk. It's, yeah. it's just like, I got given a task, you know, that's my job. I did the task. I yeah. was like, that. that is so emblematic of, of how government works. I'm like, even if the government did make this, it would have been a bureaucratic bit of bullshit make work. And it's entirely possible that at no point did anyone check, why are we doing this? What's it for? Oh, yeah. It could have been like someone high up went, we're going to build this because of some stupid reason as a, as a joke. And everybody else just went and did it because that's what you do when and you then, work and in the government. You know, when, like, that, that doesn't get passed along. We're going to do this for this reason or the fact that like, it's a joke. Yeah, bureaucracy it, doesn't need a reason. It just does what it's doing because that's its job. I gotta love bureaucracy for the sake of bureaucracy. Yeah, which I think that's why I think it's funny that like it it is fully believable that something like this could exist, even though it's obviously way outside the realms of like physical possibility. Like, how would you even make the movement work? Who knows? I mean, and when yet, you and then cube two hypercube is just like yeah, yeah fuck it. Like none of it makes sense. No, but I'm also just like I love that idea that like yeah, I could fully see. A government department has accidentally created this project and it accidentally got fulfilled. Cre- accidentally created the fucking death trap. Yeah, because the left hand wasn't talking to the right hand and the contractors were just putting stuff together. And you're like, yeah, man, until somebody woke up inside it and went, wait a minute, what is this? I'm not sure anybody asked that question before then. <laughs> it's kind of fucked at like how believable that, that is and be like, you know, how, on, a, on a day-to-day scale, like no one asking the question until like, they're personally like so subjected to it to be like, hang on, what is this and why do we have it? Like- and I mean, that's, it, it does go into a little bit of the meet your maker style stuff of the very beginning of the game. There is a little intro where there's like the creepy chimera thing going like, you got to go and find the, the, the mat gen, the, the, yeah, the stuff. You got to find like this life source to sustain me. Yeah. You got to go get the MacGuffin and every, every yeah, temple qu- has a MacGuffin. It is just quite literally a MacGuffin. Like it, it's a, like meet your maker kind of like it gives it for like, um, what's the word I'm looking for to kind of like set design for it to be like, it's weird and gross and like mechanical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just to, just to have like, this is the kind of like world and tone we have. Uh, but the rest of it is like, this is just our excuse for you to have a reason to go out and like, and like rate all these things. Cause again, you have that little bit of story. Yeah. you got like this weird fetus in a jar. It needs 
uh, whatever it was, Matt Gen. Matt, Matt Gen. Go get it. That's it. Who's it? Gen Matt. Genetic material. Gen Matt. That might Matt be Gen. It. I don't, I don't know. know. It doesn't matter. And that's the point. It well, that's matter. the thing. It doesn't matter. It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. It's a MacGuffin. But I like the idea that, yeah, you kind of wake up, you're given this one basic instruction go here, don't die, get the stuff. And you're like, great. And you realize that, like, that actually fits so well with the cube themes of like you don't need to understand that's not why you're here if we wanted if we did wanted to talk about like imagining our own version of cube whether you do it as a game or a movie or not like think like have the facility imagine if the if if the cube facility um was sentient right and had a, and <laughs> yeah. had a life of its own oh, damn. uh and then you go like forever like like long later in the future after the first one so that's like cube for living cube yeah, yeah okay. so you know it's abandoned there is no government like no no one is even aware of this thing anymore and and people still wake up there and like what if it is like this desolate abandoned cube that's uh changing and making things up on the fly and and like take and trying to, to take people through certain paths and deciding things through through whatever like it thinks is is right or wrong or whatever and, and like i don't know how you'd be able to um i suppose explain that without like being like oh the cube is alive blah 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 and and, and like tongue-in-cheek pointing to it but you, like, you wouldn't need to do that you you could do this right what you're describing is a pretty good little idea write this down you're doing a pretty good little idea here for like okay cube four slash five whatever we're up to it's it doesn't have to be fully post-apocalyptic but you could go like proto fallout where it was built in the desert somewhere as like as a fallback in case of nuclear annihilation there's like I don't know, 200,000 people frozen in the facility and the and the machine, the cube, is run by an AI, right? Oh, and it's unfreezing people one so by one. unfreezing people one by one to run them through the thing. Until someone can get through it. Yeah, and then so it's a little bit portal, it's a little bit... Yeah, the, the AI aspect actually kind of works quite well. Because what it. happens is, every you know, the people in it might think, oh, the cube is trying to kill us. The cube is not trying to kill you. The cube is trying to solve a puzzle, right? It's auto-GPT. It's not smart enough to have feelings about what it's doing. It's only smart enough to know what its goal is. It doesn't but even you necessarily human, know that like you're a human. Yeah, you don't understand its goal and it doesn't understand that when you die, that's it for you, right? As far as the auto GPT running cube five is concerned, it, its goal is to cure X or to find a solution for Y. And the way to do that is to put person or object into cube one and then let it go. And, and if somebody beats it, you solved it. And I don't know, it's a cure for cancer or something that's totally irrelevant now. I think that and would you be know a delicious Okay, here's, here's the video game version of that, right? You are, it's a roguelike. You're playing as, each time you play, you're one of those frozen people that's waking up after the previous one has died and you're going through the procedurally generated cube trying to get out. I mean, we can make this. Procedurally generated cube, You've got roguelike heroes that are also procedurally generated. So each, yeah, each, so each time one is different. Up, their stats are different. They're no totally random stats. Different things. I, and, and you could have world persistence. So it's randomly, it's procedurally generated. Uh, but every time you make progress, it saves that progress. So as you discover the individual cubes of the larger cube... Because you're not actually playing as the human. I mean, when, you, when you're doing each run, you are playing as the person, but in terms of the larger game, you are actually controlling the cube. Exactly. But you don't know that yet. But you until, don't know that yet. Maybe you don't know that until you beat it and actually escape with the first person and then things change and like, oh yeah, escaped, but like the escaping wasn't actually a point. It's just data and then you keep going again and again and again and again with new info and unlock later things. This could actually be quite, quite an Maybe we should game. cut this and actually make this. I don't know. This could be a very fun, easy to make roguelike because you wouldn't have to do it like that game demo we looked at where it's like Unreal 5, very flash. Mm -hmm. 
you could do this in 16-bit and people would still be into it. I think I think it could actually be quite good. You decide if you want to keep this in the podcast or not, but I'm, I'm on board. We, I'll probably, you know. I mean, I mean, regardless, because I think it, it's fun to like spitball and workshop this stuff. Uh, I'll keep it in the podcast because I, I quite like this stuff. Maybe but. maybe you and I have a chat and we... You could build this in Unity as a mobile game. You wouldn't even have to make it a first-person fucking whatever. I'm not even thinking first-person. I'm thinking like top-down. Yeah, you Like, you know, you think it. Binding of Isaac... Oh, well, I mean, if it's cube, it's got to be uh, isometric. Right. Actually, no. You know what? Lean away ah, from that. Isometric could work. I don't though. want to have to license the rights to Cube because Lionsgate would probably charge a fortune. You don't. I mean, you don't have to like have it explicitly be Cube. No, you, I think the idea is yeah. You 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 get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This, um, this is a conversation that happens a lot in film and game dev. Where uh, how do I put this? Look. Anybody who's if we, ever... If, if we did make this and it's not explicitly cube, then I would have to cut it from the episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, I think I, honestly, I think you could get away with it because everything... And this is like... I've, I've talked about this before, but everything is a remix of something else, right? And a lot of... Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no such thing as a purely original idea. No. Ever. You know, I mean, if, uh, also look at the Edge Sheeran music case, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you... If you Go back far enough, and I, you know, some of my research. So this, I think, this is knowledge that people who listen would know. I, I am currently doing research on piracy and digital distribution, and one of the things that I I have found, which I find endlessly fascinating, is that piracy, in the way we think of it as copyright piracy, as opposed to like literal piracy, has kind of been around since the moment we started writing shit down. And people, oh, how does that work? And it's like, well, people used to pirate books. People would steal books, copy them, write their own. Like, like they, you know, people would break into it's printing co- presses. copying and distribution, right? Yeah, it's copying and distribution. So it's been around forever and ever and ever. And you kind of go, oh, yeah. What's interesting about this is that, that that behavior seems to be an intrinsic human behavior to do with sharing knowledge. And the reason I think it's intrinsic, which I'm never going to be able to prove in my research, so I'm happy to give it away here. I think it's to do with the fact that in order for us to generate new knowledge, we have to share existing knowledge. So we we want to share things well, because what, new why, stuff has to grow from things we've already been doing. That's why, like you know, uh, even even if you look at it from a very like basic perspective of like, okay, you're ta- you're, you're in high school, you're doing a multimedia class, you're tasked with building a website, right? Uh, the exam is to do it from scratch, but in in reality, you're never going to actually make something from scratch. There's, no. like, there's so many resources and shared knowledge, like. And in, in order for, like, a huge, like, for advancements to society and technology and all that kind of stuff, it all relies on shared knowledge and discoveries from, like, past generations of yeah. work, right? You, you build on existing and you iterate, right? I mean, literally, if you ever try to do a, a PhD, they will tell you what you're actually doing when you contribute new knowledge is you're building on a foundation. So the first thing you have to do when you start a research degree like that is you have to go and read all of the key texts that everyone's ever yep. written about that subject because you yep. have to know what did everyone else you, already You find. already have to be an expert. You've already got to be an expert. And so they, they this idea that like we couldn't do this concept because it's too similar, that's fine because what you do is you go, okay, what are the bits that I liked? And then you change them, right? Or you, you take those bits that you liked and you add something new to it or you give it a different coat of paint. You could make the argument, as I kind of already alluded to, Meet Your Maker is basically Mario Maker. Yeah. Like it even has Maker in the name, yeah. guys. But it's it's fascinating to look at because they're done so differently and yet at and their it's, core- And it's set in like, a, like, you know, Mario Maker is very much like, it's Mario, it's family friendly. Meet Maker is like, oh, no, nah, it's like post-apocalyptic and gory and yeah. weird mechanical. Like but those core elements, identical, yeah. right? And that, that idea that, 
the the themes underlying them are kind of the same. Even though Mario make it, you could make the argument it's purely generative and, and it doesn't have a theme. I think it does. I think the theme actually of Cube, of Meet Your Maker and of Mario Maker are exactly the same. And that's that that old, old, old trope. Hell is other people. Huh. Right? Because yeah. that's what the thing's really about. It's you're trapped hell, in the cube. Hell is you being forced to deal with other people. Exactly. You're trapped in the cube. The, the, the cube is trying to kill you. Oh, what a nightmare. But actually, it's the psycho cop. It's the this. It's the other people in the room that you can't trust. When you're doing Meet Your Maker, you know that the buildings that you're entering or raiding and you're trying to get this mat gen, that those places are built by other players. They're trying to kill you. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, that's that's the theme here is that the worst thing that you'll face in your entire existence is the other people. You know, what I found really interesting, because I, I saw a couple of videos on this on YouTube, and I encountered a couple of uh, runs like this in Media Maker, where, like, some people had made outposts that were specifically like, nah, fuck, like, the point of the game. Here's, like, an easy path to all the rewards and all the stuff you need, all the monsters and stuff that I'm required to spawn, I've put here in, like, a box, and you can kill them for XP if you want. And then at the end maybe like there's a there's a pit option to kill yourself to give like the the yeah person who made it like some some rewards or you just go scot-free and get all your stuff like the whole idea of like the player being like nah fuck like the intent of the game and like here's like a nice easy one to break to break the loop for you and be like here just like have a have a little boost before you go to the next like fucked one isn't that isn't that just symbolic of like human nature like like capitalism is created because we want more and we want better and we kind of are okay with fucking people over for it. But statistically, there's a percentage of the human race who are like, that's fucked. We yeah. could do better. What if we just shared? What if we were nice to one another? Yeah, that, what, what if we helped boost each other up? Yeah, and so like, there's a microcosm of that in Meet Your Maker. There's a microcosm of that in the movie Cube. Like it exists in both levels wherein there are good people who are, who are truly altruistic or- or at the very least, if they're not actually altruistic, they understand the value of altruism yep. to the point where they're willing to express it, even if it's not a core value. Like towards the end of Cube, you know, uh, I can't remember what his name is, but he uh, uh, Worth, I think it is, sacrifices himself so that the other two can get away, right? Yep. And in that moment, you're like, this dude is clearly not an altruistic guy. He's done a bunch of selfish shit. He's very nihilistic about he's why he's very much he's become the like the antagonist at this point. Very much so, right? And then you kind of get to this point where he realizes that even though he's kind of a piece of shit, he's been given an opportunity to not be a piece of shit. And if he embraces that, it's kind of all worth it. I feel like Meet Your Maker does that, where like people who build those levels that are like, here's a bunch of free shit, that's them doing that. They probably also built hundreds of levels that fuck people up. Oh, maybe. But they were like, you know what? Or, or, or maybe like they, they don't, like, I mean, this is another thing too. If you think about like, um, one of the one of the one my favorite classes I did at Swinburne actually was uh, a class on uh, player psychology and behavior in games. And a lot of it, too, a lot of it talks about like different types of players in games. Why they do, why they do what they want. Why they keep coming back to games. Yeah. And, and how you cater to like the, the different types of players. You'll have like your your player who's trying to fuck over everyone. You have your, your player who's just trying to build shit and be creative. You have your, your player who just wants to like collect all the tools and resources. There's gonna be a player who like isn't interested in like building all the weird puzzle or even raiding bosses. They they just want to go in and be like, I just want to like build something pretty and, and share people and like and help people. And they probably don't even do a lot of like building the other stuff to fuck people over. Yeah. Because like this is just what they find interesting. And and I I think that's so fascinating to me about like, yeah, you can make a game just for those people, but you don't have to. You can make a game that's for all kinds of people. 
and then let them experiment and explore and figure it out themselves. Well, that's another thing too, right? So like, you know, Meet Your Maker clearly isn't designed for that, but like it, it was included on PlayStation Plus for months. So a lot of people like got it for free. So, so people were just jumping in and, and trying it out. And like because of that, you have people who wouldn't have joined it for, uh, you know, the design of what Meet Your Maker is initially. They're going through and exploring like, oh, wait, but I can do like this a little bit differently. Kind of like go to the side a bit be like, and like exist in that space alongside all the other, everything else that's happening in the game why don't i just like sit there and see like how what like what i can do there how much i can exploit and yeah. see how it affects everyone else it's a really good point there. It's, it's it's kind of like social experimentation it is a it bit. is by 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 putting the game out there like that and and giving people with playstation plus uh and i mean look technically it's not free because you have to pay for that and blah 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 but when you make the game available to an audience that otherwise maybe wouldn't look at it in a way that it's very accessible to them it really does open up some. I mean, this is ideas. another thing. We're talking about like um, uh, researching piracy and distribution, that kind of thing. As soon, as soon as you share it and just give people access to it, you get new things. That's how people like try and exploit and discover new things. Because if you put something behind like a hundred dollar paywall, you're not going to have people like jumping on to experiment because like the, like immediately you're asking them to pay a hundred bucks. They're not going to do that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, actually, this is a, a huge segue here, but this is. It, Part of the uh, the reasoning or the, the the psychology, I guess, or the the justification for things like uh, Halo Infinite having free multiplayer or free to play multiplayer, the reason Forge being free, right? Yeah, yeah. The reason behind that is because when you have a hundred dollar paywall on something like that, this beautiful creative playground, you only get people who are willing to spend the money to dick around with it. But when you give it away, you get everybody. And everybody is a huge, huge gamut of people. There's, That's there's, it. It's a, so much of a better advantage. Yeah. So you end up with like incredibly diverse stuff that people are making, and then which makes the game better. And more often than not, like if the developers and the creators behind it are paying attention, they'll see like what's becoming popular, what's doing well, we're, like that's being made by those people, and like maybe like make their own like official game mode or variant. Oh, that happened with Halo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Griff, uh, Griff Ball. Yep. That's Griff it. Ball was a, a, a fan creation using the original Forge, uh, and it's now become like a staple game mode. Same with their zombies thing. Yeah, the same the, thing the, with swords and shotguns. Yeah, yep. it's fascinating to watch that. Where Meet Your Maker, I think, I I wasn't into things like the desert punk biopunk aesthetic. The the greys and the browns yeah, don't that, really that, do that it for me. That kind of thing I, I was kind of like ambivalent towards, but like the actual core like the creativity, I was fun. like, this is cool. Yeah, it, you can break it in a few ways, which is kind of fun and kind of annoying after a while. You can you like spoilers. You can effectively run through everybody's map, and the reason for that is the Harvey, the little weird, ironically enough, cube boy thing. Yeah. Uh, has to be able to walk from the spawn point to the mat gen and back. It can't climb stairs. It can't do ladders. You know, there was there was one uh, one like meet maker like thing that I tried, but like the whole thing was just a giant like you know building, and you go down. It's all kinds of like weird traps and 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 it's a maze. I'm going through, and then like after going going through a few a few times and, and dying, <laughs> I thought like. What if I just kind of like walk around this building or go over the top of it and see what there is? And I yeah. did, and the and the mat gen was just on the other side of it, so I didn't I didn't have to go through and and go through any of it. Yeah, just <laughs> done that. And like and like it's kind of like like it's it's not obvious to do that. And like there is a path through, which I suppose is what the little creature little does. Harvey guy's doing. Yeah, but yeah. It was it was it was funny having that moment, being like, oh, I don't have to go through any of that. Yeah, nice. And a lot a lot of people I've noticed will kill the Harvey. And I think that's like a rookie player move. They oh, kill Harvey yeah. early on because he's like in the way. But actually, you want to keep Harvey alive. Harvey is actually like kind of crucial. Yeah. 
Harvey can can die from the traps and stuff too, yeah. though. So yeah. like you, you, you have to be careful. You do have to be careful. Well, I think it's 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 a very brilliant. I guess like the concept of Meet Your Maker really tickles me. I love it. I just wasn't huge into the aesthetic. And it kind of makes me I, think about like if you were able to, which I guess is kind of what they did, right? It's it's Mario Maker. It's one of these other style of games and they've given it a different coat of paint. I never thought I would be into that kind of game. And now that I've played a bit of Meet Your Maker, I'm like, oh shit, maybe I do love that. I just want it to look different. Mm. I want it to be more colorful, more vibrant. Bit more like over the top. Exp- yeah, uh, maybe yeah. it's that like evil genius one. It's not quite the same, but the there's that series um, where you play like the evil genius who has like a, a lair and you build your lair and then you you spies try to break in and you have to build traps to catch them and stuff. This is a game? I'm it's a game. game. There's like six of them. The, the, the issue with that one I always had was that it's not really truly multiplayer. It's always like AI generated. And oh, I'm like, yeah. I would find it much more interesting if if you could play as the spy to try to break into the evil geniuses lab. But I think the way they built those games, it's much more like Tropico. It's like a base builder. Right. So you, it's like literally the game engine, I think just doesn't allow that, but maybe it could, maybe the next but, one. But could. If, you, if you're thinking about that, like for like the concept and the, and the premise and yeah. doing a different engine, a different style of game, you could have that work. Absolutely. I mean, if I'm thinking more along that idea of like doing the crew as a rogue, like with frozen bodies and then changing it to the AI, you don't like you don't even necessarily have to make a cube. You can change it to be enough. You just have like a mechanical like, yeah. prison or like well, construct. I already made the uh, allusion to it being a bit like Portal, right? Yeah, and it's like okay, so Portal has uh, Portal would be another like you know if you were working for Valve, an easy uh, yeah. world to put that kind of game in. I'm I'm assuming, it's been a while since I played Portal. I'm assuming the people were frozen in like cryostasis or something in that. Yeah. So like, there you go, right? There's an idea that like, I don't even remember if that's what it is. But I, it's like, something like that. I mean, I mean like, you, like you playing as Chell, you were frozen for a while. I'm pretty and sure, I yeah. I think there was a lot of others. But then even on top of that, you have like the, the robots you could play as as well. Yeah. So you end up with like, you know, this is kind of the point I'm making here, I guess, is that, you, you don't need to do remakes of stuff. You don't need to do direct adaptations. You can do a spiritual adaptation. And you, you can, understand you why can even works. nod to the inspiration in the game. Like you, you don't even have to be subtle to it, to no. be honest. But I think that's the key, right? Is like, you need to understand why you're trying to make the adaptation. So for us sitting here going, we could, we could totally do a cube game. We're not necessarily talking about doing an adaptation of cube. What we're talking about is how do you take the bits of cube that we love and make them into a playable game? But also on that, if, if we, like hypothetically, if we could get the rights to cube and oh, actually man. specifically make it a cube game, you could have a look at that, understand it, push it in different directions to try new things. And like, I, I reckon it could still work quite well could with do. it specifically being, being cube. We'd have to, we'd have to send some emails. It might be funny. Actually, this could be, it's one of those, like we, I have no idea what's happened to Lionsgate and their their Cube 4 that's in development, right? There is a non-zero chance that that film is nearly ready to shoot and that we're going to hear about it in the next few months and that would be hilarious to me, right? But what if it isn't? What if they've quietly canned it because they couldn't figure out what to do or, with it? Or what if it's shooting in six months? What, yeah. if, what, if, what if the planned release date for it is, say, like end of 2025? Right. We could make a game to release. You could absolutely do at that. At that point. So, you know, look, uh, it's one of those, you you nothing is impossible, and I think as long as you give yourself those options, like we could send an email and find out what's going on with that. It would not be difficult for me to find out who to contact and say who's got the rights to this, blah, blah, blah. It's also like you don't lose anything by sending an email. You don't lose well. anything. Because worst case, they come back and say either we've already got plans, go away, or they say, no, you can't have the rights or whatever, right? And you go, great, I'm, I'm back where I am today, which is that I don't own the rights to the movie. 
you still have all the core stuff that you loved. You could still do something with that that is in some way honorific or an allusion to or inspired by without needing to go, oh, well, I, I can't get the rights. I guess that dream is dead. Like, I don't think that's the case. And I think as long as you understood why you wanted to do the adaptation, why you wanted those rights, you can leverage that anyway. It'd be so good. It's also like so, like thinking about Cube as games and like, so, you know, there's that idea, there's that Cube game that came out a couple of years ago, which is mind-blowing to me. I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, use the term game loosely. Like it, it is very much a tech demo that looks like it's set in the Cube universe. But like right. as far as I can tell, he did not get very far in it. And, and again, if I mean, dude, if you're listening to this, I don't know what your name is. I couldn't find it. Get in touch with us. But, but that guy seems to have... Uh, either stopped work on it at some point in the last couple of years or he's gone like radio silent because he's, I don't know, neck deep in, in what he's trying to make. Yeah, it looks like the last update on it was like about a year ago. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say too, like <laughs> I think before I even kind of knew what Cube was and before I watched the movie, there's a Fallout 3 mod uh, that came out in 2010 called Cube Experimental. Really? And it's it's based on Cube and it's like a, it's a full like... Uh, like multi-hour like single player like, like side quest story and you go into a cube facility and go into cube and you have to like break out and then like try and, and go through like the facility of the creators and do all these weird puzzles and you and you get like these overpowered weapons towards the end. I was like this is pure coincidence that I mentioned it. it's a little bit Fallout a little bit Portal and yet clearly someone already had that yeah. thought process. And I, I remember playing this I, I think the original mod or, and like the original creator for it is German um, but you know they made an English an English version for players to to install and muck around with, and I played it, and honestly, it has that like sci-fi, like hard industrial, like long lost bunker. I mean, you know, that's why I suppose it works in a Fallout setting as well, um, and that that kind of like over the top Fallout jankiness to it. Fallout jankiness. That's yeah. such a great way of putting it. <laughs> it's honestly really good, and, I, and like and like if we, <laughs> I think. Um, if you can get Fallout 3 working on like a Windows 11 computer, I think you can. I think New Vegas is one that I've had issues installing again. Uh, but it's really good. It's worth checking out. This is funny. There's there. I was trying to look up a name for this, and I'm there is there is a term for this, and I can't find the real oh, he, one. I've got, I've got the mod page thread up at the moment on Nexus. What you can expect: thirteen big levels full of hard work, uh, two plus hours of gameplay, new soundtrack, full professional voice acting, and a confusing time. Yeah, and it's not even that big. It's like not even a hundred megabytes because all the assets it just reuses from Fallout and it just constructs its own thing. Um, it's all about just like like scripts and coding and, and like voice uh, like audio logs, really. Yeah, it's really good. This is funny. There's a okay, so there's a term for this when two people have the same idea at roughly the same time, and there's all these there's all these like I don't know. I'm not going to call them crackpot theories because we don't know shit about shit there's theories that sound pretty ludicrous that there's some sort of like shared human consciousness and that's why these things happen. Right? Oh, we want to go there. Yeah, okay. But the idea is that the only term I can find, which I'm pretty sure is not the one I'm thinking of, but there's, it's called multiple discovery. But I'm pretty sure there was like, there's an idea of like um, divergent uh, invention or something like this, where like two people on opposite ends of the world come up with the same idea at roughly the same time, not ever having spoken to one another. Yep. And the idea is that and this is partly where this whole piracy and sharing and blah, 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 iteration, right? Everything's a remix of something else. It goes back to this concept that we as creatures are intrinsically curious and that when we find or learn or understand something, it tends to spark something in our brain that thinks of something else and we iterate on it. And it's, it's very, it's actually quite common in history that two people who have never spoken or met 
will arrive at the same conclusion at roughly the same time. Um, and it's, it's called like, yeah, divergent discovery or something like this. And it's, it's kind of fascinating that like I'm sitting here going, oh yeah, Fallout, you could do, oh yeah, yeah. Someone's already made that, right? I'm like, that's genius. And so someone made that like, because Fallout 3 came out in 2008. A while back, yeah. So like two years after, 2010 is when this came out originally. Yeah. And the idea um, of like putting Cube in the Fallout universe is like, oh, that was a random little kind, spark in my like mind. It's kind of like a match made in heaven. Yeah, but you go, it makes sense to me. And apparently it made sense to somebody else too. So it's and like, I, and I, I, I could imagine too, like if someone wanted to, with Starfield coming out, you know, because Bethesda. Oh yeah, you games, would, absolutely. Someone could easily do do like Cube 2, Hypercube. Absolutely. <laughs> in in space and in Starfield. That'd be sick. It'd be sick. I think that that's what strikes me as like, you, you aren't necessarily... Uh, I mean, commonly you'll hear people like, oh, you don't want to steal someone's idea. It's not about stealing the idea. It's that it's totally possible that the same type of inspiration and this idea that like, oh, I would never have thought of that. And yet, what a coincidence. It isn't necessarily coincidence. If you feed the same inputs and the same stuff into enough people, you will find two people who go, I thought about idea X. And you go, wow, have you two spoken? No. It and, does, but they will arrive too, at the like, same conclusion. Like, 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 you know, you have idea X and like each, those two people could still like, you know, because they're from different walks of life, different perspectives, know different things and understand things differently. They'll still do like their own unique thing with that same idea. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? Is that the inputs might be the same. Um, you know, take music for an example, right? Because you, you mentioned the Ed Sheeran thing. If, if five very famous musicians are all inspired by the same book at the exact same time, but they never talk to one another. They're all going to write songs that relate to that book, but they're all going to be different. Yeah. I mean, because they might all use the same G to D chord. Exactly. But you know, but they're all going to be different because the that, execution that, is yeah. different. And that's not necessarily copying. No. And I think that's, that's the bit, right? Is that you, you can have something like um, the Japanese remake of cube where it is, it is, in a lot of ways, a shot-for-shot shot remake, and that's the bit that I'm bored by. If you had, if they had taken the it's, concept, it's almost, it's almost too like co copying. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much. It's copying. too one to one. It didn't feel original. It didn't feel like there was a reason why it had to be Japanese. And I feel like that's the bit that kills me. Right? If you if you were to do this, I'm just making shit up here. But if you were going to do like a Swedish remake of Cube, yeah, I, okay. I bet it would be different because the Swedes make stuff differently. Yeah, you know Nordic thrillers are different to western thrillers it would be a different movie and i'm like if if we were going to make a, a cube in australia it would be different yeah you already know it would you be already different. know like an australian cube would be just insane over the top being like yeah. some kind of like weird thing like yeah in a or, or ridiculously understated have mick taylor come back yeah 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 you're either doing like <laughs> when, I, when i say back i mean you know yeah you're either doing wolf creek but in a cube or we could go like hard other direction and go like, what if right. You, what, what if you had a cube full of serial killers? Yeah. Like I like the other one though. What if we went like the David Michaud style and we're like, okay, let's put uh, Animal Kingdom, but it's cute. <laughs> so it's like super, super heavy themes, really intense drama, like drama to 11. Yeah. And then you just throw them in this cube and it's like the horror element could still be there, but, but the performances would be different. You would be getting a different type of movie. Yeah. And I'm like, that to me is where you can have stuff like Meet Your Maker that feels a bit like this, feels a bit like that, but it's not a direct adaptation. You could call it a love letter too. You often hear that term. Somebody goes, oh, it's inspired by, or it's a love letter to, or it's an homage to. I think that's the difference. If you make something that feels like a love letter to something else, nobody will accuse you of copying it. 
if you do a shot-for-shot shot remake of something, you've stolen that That's idea. That's why, like, I think a lot of, like, parodies or satires are making fun of something, but it's like making fun of something with love. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm on the fence on this. I'm so glad you brought this up because I couldn't figure out how to talk about it myself. So one of my favorite movies of all time, Galaxy Quest. It, it haven't has seen a, it. Oh. Don't, I don't know what it is that much, okay. actually. No spoilers because, goodness gracious me, you have to see this movie. It is, it is a masterpiece of cinema, right? I say this knowing that like it's not that great. It definitely is. Oh, so Galaxy Quest uh, has Tim Allen in it, and I think it's the best thing he's ever done, right? And I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but my God, his performance in that is incredible. Okay. Galaxy Quest, and this will this will tell you everything you need to know about the movie without spoiling <laughs> oh, okay. it. Okay, I've just looked. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll let you say it. Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek film ever made. Oh, interesting. And a lot of people, oh, I don't get it. It's not Star Trek at all. It is. The whole thing is a parody and a satire of Star Trek and Star Trek fandom and Star Trek tropes and the whole genre. And yet it is so lovingly crafted. It's like the Orville, right? The Orville is is a comedy sci-fi drama from Seth MacFarlane, which I also would argue is an incredible Star Trek series. Well, this is another thing too. Like these people, are, uh, like the people who make these kinds of things are parodying Star Trek because they've grown up with it. They love it. Exactly. Like it's a parody and it's making fun of it because like they're recognizing like part of like the, like the kind of stupid or tongue-in-cheek elements of Star Trek, but they still love it. And this is, this is wholeheartedly a love letter to what they're doing even if they're kind of like poking it at it a little bit. Exactly. And I think that's a trick, right? When you, when you, it's like, it's like the difference between like bullying someone and having like a friendly jab where like, if I go to the pub with my mates and, and we, you know, I'll have a jab at him for being late all the time. Like that's a friendly jab. Like I'm not bullying him, but it's like, I know enough about him. I could bully him, but yeah. I'm not going to do that. Cause I love him. Yeah. That's what these are. Galaxy quest is, is a friendly ribbing from a big fan where they go, I'm pointing out all of your flaws that I love, and I'm pointing them out because I love them, yeah. not because I think you're dumb and they're bad. Like if, any, if, think if anything, these flaws are actually what make you, you exactly and it's great. Yeah. So I'm like that. That to me is the. That's when they you hear the phrase like it's a love letter to Galaxy Quest is a love letter to Star Trek as a genre, as a type, as a as a thing. You know, I I love that idea, and I'm like, if I was gonna do a game for Cube. Even if it didn't look like Cube, it would be a love letter to why that movie resonates. Yeah, exactly. Then, and there's a lot, of, a lot of ideas too, where like you look at movies that do like shots or non-star movies, and like it might, it might be like uh, a reference or a satire, parody, whatever. It's all like done because they're recognizing and admiring the original thing for what it does. Yeah. Like there's a shot in the, in uh, the second season of Sweet Tooth where one of the characters is like breaking out of prison. And as soon as he comes out, there's that Shawshank Redemption shot. They're in the Beautiful. rain. It's uh, it's a bird's eye view. They're like standing, gotta, standing up with their arms out. It's like, yeah, you gotta, fuck yeah. As soon as it happened, like Shawshank, nice. Shawshank. Yeah. But that's the thing. If you, if you recognize the shot, it was for you. Yeah. If you're part of the audience who saw that and didn't make the connection, that's fine. It's still a cool shot. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't matter because like you don't need to understand yeah. it because it still works for what they're doing. But if you do get it, you don't sit there and go, it's oh, a, they stole a, that from- It's a little bonus treat. It's a bonus treat. You, you know, if you did get it, you weren't sitting there going, how dare they? They've stolen that from Shawshank Redemption. You're going, oh, that's nice. They like Shawshank yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, 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 it's a little nod to the audience going, you and me, we're on the same page here. I'm yep. like, I like that. And if if- if you're if you're trying to do adaptations of stuff, I think that's the key, right? You can have some people call it fan service. We talked about this a little bit in like Halo and and The Last of Us. Fan service when it's too much can be too like right. too much. Yeah, like there's a reason fan service is kind of a derisive term. Yeah, like when you see fan service, because I think it comes from anime where 
the anime is always like, oh, it's, you know, hot animated whatever's. And then they're like, we're going to do a little cheeky panty shot. And you're like, what's that for? And it's because they know that the majority of their audience are young men who are horny as fuck and want to see that cartoon girl's underwear, right? Yeah. That's fan service. So that's the term is derisive because it comes from that. And when you do too much fan service, you're just, you're it can, just. It, 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 and like that example of what you said, when you do too much of it, it can end up being kind of gross. And, it's and gross. It's like, why? why? Yeah. Uh, you know, what's interesting though. And like before we started recording this podcast, I mentioned to you, like I watched two, since doing the last one, two movies I saw in the cinema. One fucking amazing, one fucking awful, like shockingly oh, bad. No. But the the really good one that I loved, and it has uh, the kind of thing of like nodding back to the original. And yeah. you, you could say it's either fan service or parody, but I think because it's the same creators, it's, it's just the love letter to all mm. of it. I saw Evil Dead Rise. Oh, see, great example. And oh my God, it's, and, and it has so many moments of calling back to the original yeah. movies and kind of like pointing to them to be like, this is why they were good, even when they're having like the silly comedic moments uh, and like over the top, like why would it make sense yeah. to have your arm cut off and kill all these people with just a chainsaw? But it works and it's great and it's fucking amazing. The new, yeah. e- the new Evil Dead Rise, oh my God, such a good movie. You heard it here first, go check it out. Uh, uh, yeah, now this is completely a tangent, but the yeah. other the other movie I saw. So this other movie, uh, made by a guy who's made two other movies that I fucking loved, and this new movie is like his passion, personal dream project that he's been wanting to do since he's been making movies. Uh, it's it's a twenty four. It's all the budget. It's all the marketing. It's like it's like every ingredient and thing that could have lined up for it to be great works. And I wanted to like this movie so much. And holy shit, I, I, I don't know how I made it through. Oh, no. Bo is afraid. <gasps> don't tell me that. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, that's so disappointing. I can probably say, I can probably give us like a summary without spoiling too much. Yeah. But it's three hours of a movie that's obsessed with dicks and mummy issues. Oh, that checks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, I immediately, like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Knowing what I know about the filmmaker, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Like, Hereditary Midsummer, yeah. fucking phenomenal movies. I love them to bits. But there's a lot of subtext in there. But, and like, if the subtext isn't subtext anymore. Bro is Afraid doesn't have any, any subtext. Uh, it's entirely shallow. None of it makes any sense. Uh. If, any, if, if you do try to make any sense of any particular part of it, it doesn't, and it actually like has makes the rest of the movie fall down even more. Oh my god! Let me know when you watch it. All right. Holy shit! I was ranting to this with a friend I saw it for for so fucking long. Oh, oh my no. god! We do a whole podcast and like it's, it's, about that. It's probably designed to be polarizing, and yeah. I, I, I can you know respect that to a degree, but fuck me! Holy shit! Yeah. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> I can give you an example where uh, the opposite of that happened. I, I mean, trying, trying, to, trying to think about how I can tie that in, being like, you know, the whole uh, satire and parody and, and that being mm. a love letter to other stuff, being um, full of your own thing for something else uh, mm. could be like the opposite side of that coin maybe. I don't know. I'm, 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 tr- I'm trying to have that like, I'm, I'm writing an essay. I'm, and, yeah, and I'm, like I'm bullshitting and I'm trying to bring it back to the point. Screen rant essays. <laughs> the, I, I'll give you an example of something that I found recently that worked quite well in this sense was the new guardians of the galaxy volume three. I haven't seen, it. I'm seeing it on Tuesday. So definitely check it out. Uh, it's incredible. Like and I I've, say I've, this, I've only heard like good things about yeah, it. Yeah. I, I say this as somebody who I generally love superhero movies. And I, I, I say this not as like a big fanboy, but like I I'm sitting here literally wearing an Avengers hoodie, but, but I got it from Disney world. It's different. The, I love these movies for a lot of reasons. And part of it is that I love the comics I've never been into Guardians of the Galaxy comics. They were never a thing that I was into. I didn't follow them. So the movies are kind of my only 
at, like view into, into that world, right? Yeah. The most recent one is masterful. And there's, again, no spoilers because I know you're going to see it soon. It references enough of the audience interaction with superhero films in general in a way that doesn't feel fan servicey. It feels like it's acknowledging that there's been 25 of well, these movies you, at this you, point. You know what part of that is? Is It's James Gunn. It's James Gunn, right? Like, like, he's like, really, like, really good at that. James Gunn has talked about like growing up and like loving comic books. Yeah. And, like it really is like his passion. And everything he does like recognizes how like silly and over the top it is. Like you, you look at um I'm forgetting the name of it, Peacemaker, right? Yeah. 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 Like that that is like yeah, like like and like him doing DC. All of this is like weird and convoluted and it doesn't and doesn't make any sense. And like you have people in, in tights and colours and all this kind of stuff. But like we're gonna lean into it and like yeah. have a bit of fun with it and, and poke fun at it. And I think that's the trick is that when he pokes fun at it, I'm poking fun at it with him. I'm enjoying that. Right. Yeah. It doesn't feel fan servicey. It feels like we're in on the joke together. And then when he hears like writing characters and 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 going through character development and storylines and that, is it's still like um I don't know what the what the term is, but still like true and and, and like human to what that character journey is. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it can be it can be like superhero stuff, but like they they go through all all, all this kind of like bullshit and 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 journeys that like anyone could experience. Yeah, I think it's important to to note that like so for example, part of the reason I think the Cube sequels didn't work and why the Japanese remake doesn't work. There's no character. There's no character. It doesn't understand why we enjoyed the first film, right? So you kind of go okay it's because there's five people in a cube and they die brutally. That's very cool. And we enjoyed that part of the movie. And that's, that's a, it's not, a really fun set piece. It's a fun set piece. It's a very, it's one of those, like if you write the film from a cool idea and you never give it a heart and soul, you're going to have a piece of shit that looks very cool. Imagine James Gunn doing a cube movie. Oh, see like that would be ripper, right? Yeah. Because imagine, imagine like James Gunn doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie where the guardians find themselves trapped in a cube. Oh man, I'd love to see that. But you know what's funny though? I can say this pretty unequivocally. Never met James Gunn never had a conversation with him directly. I would bet money that if he was going to do anything like that, it wouldn't be a whole movie. He would do one scene in one of his movies yeah. that was a riff on that. And it would still be better than any of the sequels. That <laughs> yeah. we I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so like disappointing and sad because you know, it's true. Yeah. We deserve a good cube movie. Damn it. I, I think maybe, maybe Lionsgate uh, saw what happened with the Japanese remake and went, we're just not going to talk about the new one and see if time goes by and people but get a bit warm. This also it. is a point too, where like, um, and this can always be very 50, 50 and a roll, a roll of the dice when it happens, but fans falling in love and making their own version of it. Yeah. Like uh, I forget the name of the guy on YouTube who makes his own short films um, for Warhammer 40 K Oh, that dude! Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I but the, like his, yeah. his short films that he's made, and like and like the writing and the, and the design and the production quality is fucking phenomenal. He got in a lot of trouble for that, and I think in the end he now works for them. Yeah, that, that's. The, I mean, I didn't know about the trouble part. I mean, that doesn't oh, yeah, surprise yeah, yeah. me because copyright. But yeah, he he got hired officially. That's by that's, them. Uh, that's Wizards of the Coast owns Games Workshop. They have a parent company above them. Yeah, they they're like really litigious. They went hard. Yeah, I mean that does not surprise me, but also the fact that he's working for them now. Like, look at Makes that. Sense. A, a lot of game studios, if yeah. they, if if there's some, like people will work on mods for games and then get hired by game yeah. companies because of the work they've done. Um, people making like the the cube experimental mod uh, and the the game that you mentioned that that came out a couple of years ago, like yeah. like 
everyone's doing their own weird thing, but everyone's doing it like with their own version and they love it and they're giving it a good story. And like Cube Experimental has no characters in it. You're the character. You're the character, yeah, yeah. But it still works really well because you're finding out the backstory and like, you know, how the thing got made and, and where like, you know, uh, the characters left because it's all abandoned and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Like having fans come in and kind of like recognizing what they love and adding their own version to it. Again, it can be 50-50, but like in most cases that I've seen, well, I mean, then these cases that I'm talking about, I suppose, are like unknown because they're popular. So they fall into that like smaller category of it doing well. Yeah. But it, it can be done. It, it can be awesome. But we're, we're those people, Pigeon. We're those. Yeah. We're the fans. We're, you know, for me, I, I remember being young and watching Cube and I'm sitting here going, I would love to do Cube. I don't know what I would do with it. I haven't really thought about it beyond well, today. I, th- I think now after talking but about it, if, going, we, we, if we, we did we something do with it. Cube, it'd be that roguelike. There you go. If you're listening, hands off. This is our idea. No jokes. Make your own shit. I would love that. If there were 15 fucking Cube inspired games and movies that all came out at the same time, let's have, yeah. let's have a Cubisance. Let's let's bring bring Cube back. Make let's, Cube let's have, great let's again. Let's have like a Cube Expo. Get everyone in in one place. Share all of that. Oh, I'm awesome ready. Stuff. You know the creators of the movies will get involved to just be like, this is awesome. I want to see what everyone's done. Hundred percent. Because like also, I think as a, as a creator, that'd be like one of the like most complimenting things. Yeah. Is yeah. Seeing, Imitation. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. 100%. Seeing how fans have taken aboard your your creation and are doing their own thing. And like if I, if I made Cube. And I heard that like some guy on the other side of the, of the world was making a weird video game adaptation for it or a Fallout 3 mod for it. I'd be like, what the fuck? I've got to see that. Gotta I've, got to, I've got to check that right now. There's the other point too of like a creator making something, but then like the studio making its own version to try and like make money and further capitalize off it. Well, yeah. I think that's what happened with uh, with Cube. Yeah. yeah. Two sequels are different writer-directors. Like it's not same team. I mean, you look at Evil Dead. Right? Yeah, same, same, like, right? So yeah. it, it, I mean, it's the same like writers and creative team behind it. But each movie is uh, owned by a different studio, I think. Um, and there was the Evil Dead game that came out like last year or the year before. I can't remember. Is that that multiplayer one? It was. In, it was in. It was. In, it was held in development hell for a little bit because yeah. of the rights kerfuffle of who owns which parts of it. Yep. Um, I haven't played it myself. It looks okay, but it also reminds me a lot of just like Dead by Daylight and like that kind of like style of game that's been done a couple times now. So it doesn't stand out to me. Interestingly, uh, Meet Your Maker is from the guys who did Dead by Daylight. Is it actually? Same team. Do you see that, by the way, the new announcement for Dead by Daylight? Was that uh, Nicolas Cage is going to be in Dead by Daylight? I know. I was like, I'm so ready for that. Nicolas Cage in Dead by Daylight. Also, there's the Dead by Daylight dating sim that's out as well, where you can date all the killers. Okay, I didn't know that, and I I must check it out now. I'm pretty sure. I'll have to look this up, but um, a Dead by Daylight movie is being made. Oh, that checks out. I think I read about that, yeah. Yeah. so it, it's interesting thinking about, uh, you know, studios taking the IP and trying to do all kinds of um, different things with it. Evil Dead game looks a bit samey-samey to me, the other stuff. So, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's good. I haven't played it myself, so I won't talk about it too much. But then if you if you look at, like, Dead by Daylight and, and the studios willing to lean into, like, the creators trying to do, like, weird, mm. uh, insane things with it, Nicolas Cage... As a, as a DLC playable character. Genius. Uh, a, a over-the-top anime-style dating sim where you're, playing, where you're dating the killers in Dead by Daylight. Um, that kind of stuff. Amazing. Uh, and then take, take that to see what fans would do when they, uh, when they have all that kind of like material to work with um, to make their own thing. I okay, here's what right. we do. We're going to make a cube-inspired game that is both a, a puzzle solving murder box game roguelike and a dating sim 
Who are you dating? You're dating are the you other da- people. Are you dating the cube? You're, yeah, you're dating the cube. That's, there you go. <laughs> I'm like, this is where you can get weird and be like, why not, right? Yeah, yeah date it. the cube. The cube's an you, AI. You, you've, got, you've got to romance the cube in order to in order for it not to give you all the death traps. Oh, shit. The cube knows which rooms are safe. You've got to yeah. flirt. With, <laughs> you've got to flirt with the traps. Oh, man. There's a version <laughs> of that that like I would play the shit out of. Absolutely. There's a version of that where it gets really weird really quick. I mean, I think we've already crossed but well into weird territory. Yeah, yeah. I think I think, I think, think we, we know that like if we are going to make anything, it's going to be weird and like yeah. we want it to be weird. Yeah. I do like that idea. I wonder if, because one of the major themes, I guess, of both Meet Your Maker and Cube is that, you know, I kind of already covered it with that like hell is other people, but there's a lot of stuff about like isolation and, and not being able to trust other people. I don't know how you would implement that into the game, but I feel like that's where you start to get into that. Is there a bit of co-op? Is there a bit of having to work together to solve things, but you don't know who you can trust? I mean, maybe you find, I mean, you know, it's, it's an overused trope because it's a bit of a crutch, but finding audio logs of people, uh, you know, maybe if like the cube is some kind of AI, if mm. there's a way to actually like, talk with and try and like reason with the cube, and date it, obviously, because okay, we, we, because we, we want we want to fuck the cube. I guess. Huge spoilers. We're gonna we're gonna break this. It's not gonna function, but I love it. Okay, it's co op, uh, but you don't know if because it's all text based. You don't know if the person you're oh, talking to cool. is the cube AI or another player. Would you have it as three player? Or oh, actually no, you, no. It's good if it's if it's just one other person, one other entity you're talking to, and you don't know if they're on your side or not. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, we set it up so that when you're playing the game, you can choose to play as a player or as the cube, but the person who is playing the opposite half doesn't know if you are AI-driven or an actual player on the other end. Could so you, sometimes could you have two cubes playing against each other? I think you could. I think you could, and I think it would be weird, but you could do it. But I think the idea is you could have... Uh, okay, yeah, huge. this is not going to function because we're giving it away in the podcast, but... You tell people that it could be 50-50, but it's always another player. Yeah, okay. Or it's always AI-driven or something like that. Like Do you have... You, you mess with people enough that they're always unsure if they're being fucked with by a human player because that changes the way that it works. So, do you, if, so if, you, if you're playing, if you're playing as a human player, do you have like different goals to try and help or fuck over the other person? Or do you, or do you leave that up to the player to, do, to decide for themselves? I think it's up to the player to decide. I think it's, you're either playing as uh, you're either playing against a chat GPT it's a fucking chatbot, or it's another player but because you don't know you can't guess what their motives are and if you are playing against a real if player are, they pl- don't have to tell you the truth if you are plugging your own version of chat, chat GPT into the game and have it like confined to the game it's not like talking online or anything like that but like the more that people play and the more that like yeah uh, the, the AI gets fucked with or the AI, AI fucks with other players Imagine coming back to that game after a year of not playing it yeah. and seeing like how much the AI has progressed. That would be so fucking insane, but I'd love to see a project like that. We definitely can't afford the servers to build a chat GPT, but we could definitely get like an API key and like, you know, run a, a, a shoebox version. We could, we could figure that out. That'd, that'd, that'd be a fun experiment. Even, even like playing as a prototype and like getting people to play it and then like the AI yeah. is constantly like reiterating based on each... Play, played version right yeah 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 I had one uh, I did, we, you, we might cut this because I might still do it I'm unclear but I did have this idea of uh, doing a dating sim uh, based on the D&D campaign that I'm currently playing oh, with yeah. friends of mine yeah, yeah. 
And it would be fascinating if you could procedurally generate some of the characters by making them chat GPTs. Like by using a, a, a chatbot, I think you could make it happen. Interesting. I don't know how to, I don't, I don't like when you're pushing that to the extreme, I don't know where that would end up going. Who knows? But that could be cool. Could be fun. And stream it. Yeah. Get people like spectating, commentating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be sick. I don't know. It's stuff like that I thought would be, you know, we there's there's a lot of fear, I think, at the moment about AI. Like we're kind of getting off on a big tangent here, but I feel like whenever I see you, we end up talking about AI. We end up talking about AI. I'm really into it at the moment. I think I feel like we're not going to get into this too much in this episode, but at some point we'll get into it a bit more. But the there's this big fear in the industry, rightly so in some respects, that AI is going to like take over creative jobs and it's going to like, you know, having played with it a bit, I'm like, yeah, I could see the fear because it's quite good at that stuff. But I think it's more interesting to think of it as a tool and go, how could I leverage this in a way that's not necessarily taking away the job of a human writer, but doing something that a human writer would find endlessly tedious and shit. So yeah. like I, if I'm the writer, I don't want to have to write 40,000 hours worth of generic bullshit dialogue. Like that's dumb. Like, I want to like write fill a dialogue. That yeah. Goes from point a to point B. Yeah. Like all oh, the apple pie tastes good. I don't want 40,000 fucking lines of that. Right. Getting the AI to do that kind of shit might be super awesome because then all you need to do as the writer is you get to think bigger. You get plot yeah, points. Yeah, it's just shortcutting. And then like crafting as long as, character. As, long exactly. as you're like, you know, going over the shortcuts to make sure it still like works for what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the, the tricky the time part. time saver. Though is like, yeah, I understand the fear of, of what happens if you take that too far and then you don't need writers at all. And I'm like, I feel like you're, we're going to get stuff like that. We're going to have a bunch of I mean, media I th- coming I out like, like that. I feel like creative roles are probably more safe than like a lot of other like roles that can just be automated. Like that, Well, that's the that's the theory. But I guess the fear is that it turns out our, our bullshit proto AIs are really good at talking shit, which is creative. <laughs> and so if you want facts I love and that, truth- I love that it is professional shit talkers. They basically are though. Because like ChatGPT just makes shit up. It just hallucinates. It's just telling you what it thinks you want to hear. So when you ask it for true things, it doesn't know what's true. It doesn't have a concept truth of objective is a construct. truth. Yeah. It just goes, yeah, man, dogs can talk. Why? Because that's cool. And I think you think that's cool. So I think you want to hear it. So that's why I'm going to so say So that's you. why we're going to have a show about talking dogs. Exactly. We're going to make Bojack Horseman. Hey. And I think that's that's the bit where like I can see why writers and, and other creatives are scared of that. But I also think if we ignore that and try to be like, let's ban AI, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's You can't put that genie back in the bottle. You've got to figure out how to work with it. And I feel like that's what's going to happen. It'll open up things like for people like us where it's like, if we want to do an indie game and there's two of us making it, I don't have the time and energy to write 40,000 lines of dialogue. Uh, I mean, but an AI chatbot could do that for me. An AI chatbot, chatbot building out posts in Meet Your Maker. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there's, it, there's, and you know, if the AI has like access to player data and like how people like build and play the game, they'll just make the most like exploitative thing possible. It either be like ridiculously easy or insanely hard. Yeah. 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 There's no in between. I think that's the bit is if we, as long as we're getting on top of it and riding on the journey with it, instead of either trying to shove it in a corner, pretend it doesn't exist, or we just let it take over, there's got to be a way to work with it in a way that's creative and enables people and it gives more access. Like that's what it should be. It's a tool, right? That's, that's the trick here. I think if you're looking at something like meet your maker and you're like, look at what the player has created. That's good. We don't want to take away from that. But what you could do, for example, is, you know, right now, I think from memory, there was like, there's a limit on how many types of traps you can use. And it's conveniently that there is exactly that many traps in the game. Yeah. You could get an AI to sit there and go come up with a thousand traps and then you get the players to whittle down which ones they like. So you're using the tool in such a way that you're just 
benefiting and and growing. At that point, you're helping. getting the AI to help with like gameplay mechanic design. Yeah, you sit and go, okay, we don't need it to build the game for us. What we need it to do is that initial creative iteration that we don't want to sit here and rack our brains for. It's the cure for writer's block, right? Where you're sitting there going, I so, just uh, need somewhere to build on. Or it could be like a lot of like play testing ideas um, and seeing it mechanically how it works yeah. and how, how it functions against all the other stuff in the yeah. game too. Because like a lot of that too, you have you have like playtesting and quality assurance departments, and it takes a long time. But also, like it should take a lot of time because it's it's an iterative design process. Yeah. Like, you know what? I can loop this back in, right? It, in the world of Cube, you're using people to to solve this puzzle and do these experiments, and that's fucked. What we could do is put an AI chatbot in the Cube and see how it gets out. And we would so, learn so, so that's much. The, from so that. that's the opposite of what we've talked about, like the rogue like game idea yeah, of yeah, like yeah. the AI of the cube. But I mean, like for us to play test it, right? Like oh, you I could have you, you could have a thousand iterations of what works and what doesn't, and you wouldn't have to wait months and months and months and months and months for that player data. You could do that in a day, and go, oh, I get it. And and you might look at it and go, oh no, you could, you could not, see that's like bad. you could see like where there's a glaring hole exactly that's exploited. Um, and be like, you need, like if you don't like address that part, everything else falls apart. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I I hope that's where it's going. Anyway, I like the idea that like, if we're gonna use AI to do stuff, it's because we don't want to make a human do it, as opposed to going, I don't want to pay a human to do it. That's the trick, right? Yeah, it's you want to it to be doing menial do bullshit versus like saving someone from having to like clean up shit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And like you know, it gets to that awkward point of what happens if it's truly sentient AGI, blah blah blah. We're not doing that in this podcast. We're gonna get we'll a cube. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna get an AI built cube in real life. Yeah, yeah. Oh I mean, my that's god, the... that's where we're going. We're, 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 uh, CJ, one day you and I are gonna wake up in the cube and we're gonna be fucked. Pigeon, we might be in the cube already. Oh, fuck. There's there's a, a pretty good chance this whole thing is a simulation. It's so simulation. you know, <laughs> we're back we're back here. <laughs> I like that theory. They go, we're headed for AGI, right? Um, artificial general intelligence, which is basically like what we think of when we think of uh, sci-fi movie AI, sentient AI. Yep. And it's like we're headed there. It's coming soon. I'm like, bro, we are it. Like we we could be AGIs and we would never know. We're in a simulation, but we think we're sentient because we are sentient. Because it turns out sentience is just electricity. Last thought. Oh, shit. I need to get my tinfoil hat back on. Hey. This has been Cuban Meet the Maker. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll join you next week for Control and Annihilation. Control and Annihilation. I'm so excited. I have so much to say about Control. I, I, I'm going to end up with a lot to say about I, Annihilation. But oh, Control. Oh, oof, oof, oh man. Oof. I it, It's, it's going to be... It might be a lengthy one. It's going to be a long one. Yeah. Strap yourselves in for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Catch you all later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.